You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are. Don't apologize for who you are and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number nine of the FitFo podcast. I'm your host, Brian Verdusco, just a regular dad trying to figure this whole parenting thing out. Growing up, you know, I idolized athletes, right? Jerry Rice will forever be the GOAT, and I'll never forget the day that I met him. But here I am, a 34-year-old male, and I was a total fanboy for today's guest, a cochlear neurosurgeon, a best-selling author, and a pediatric doctor who is focused on building a parent nation to improve how we raise our youth by building their minds from day one when they arrive to really help them thrive. And so during this episode, we discuss you know, a wide range of topics, and I really only get to scratch the surface of what I wanted to chat about, but I love how she uses science-based solutions to really optimize children's development by encouraging parents to create a rich language environment following her three T's of tuning in, talking more, and taking turns with our little ones. I guarantee you will learn something new in this episode that you can apply at home regardless of the ages of your children and even more from her best-selling book, 30 Million Words. You know, parents, we really are the architects of our children's minds, and I had no idea the depth of the impact we have on them from birth to three years old. So I'll save the rest to the combo, but I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did. So here we go. Well, Dr. Dana Suskin, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I can't tell you how excited I am for this conversation. So just really appreciate you carving out some time to join. I am so happy to be here. And, you know, I was telling you off air, but for everybody that doesn't know, she's the author of 30 Million Words, as well as the new book, Parent Nation, that came out earlier this year. Uh, but I was telling you, like, I've you know, people read books and they get inspired and they get motivated. But this book, like I was three chapters in and, you know, I was posting it on my social media. I was telling everybody, you know, every parent I know about it. And that's how we got connected because you were so kind to not only repost, you know, my Instagram, but I DM'd you a little bit and asked if you would come on the pod. And it's just so fun to be here now because I've learned so much from you and, you know, the pages of this book and the Parent Nation as well. And I know there's gonna be a lot of people that can learn from you today. So just really excited if I go on you know, a nerd out tangent of like parenting, uh, just, you know, bring me back into it. But thank you again. Really appreciate it. Look, I am so excited just to even hear it because the truth is I wrote that first book for exactly the reason that you described uh, reading it. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a surgeon and the truth is, is that I came about this research in, this, in, in a different way than you did, but I was so inspired by the research itself. I mean, how children's brains develop so incredibly during the first three years of life. And I was like, gosh, here I'm a surgeon, I'm a doctor, I take care of kids, and I didn't even know this research when I had my kids. So I wrote the book exactly for the reason that you read it. So it warms my heart. Well, and it was the perfect time because I think, what was it? The Whole Brain Child, I think was the book that I was reading that referenced your your book. And so that's when I bought it on Amazon. And so then I started to read it. And I had no idea the first three years of life, like how much that actually makes an impact. And I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old daughter. So it was like meant to happen. I bought this book for a couple of buddies already. Just like, hey, you got to you know read this, learn this. 
you know, I remember the, the tune in, the talk more and take turns. We'll talk more about some of the main concepts that you wrote, but it just changes my interactions with my daughters in the way that I'm really thinking about developing their brains. And, you know, it is my responsibility to make sure to help them reach their full potential. So, yeah, I'd love to get into it and just, you know, how parents can become the architects of their child's brain and just help them, you know, advance as much as they can. So, can we talk about that, the intro? Like, how did you get to writing this book from a, a cochlear implant doctor? And I'm yeah. I'm not even gonna try to say the word because I'll butcher it, but to writing this yeah, book. No, how did- no you, you got it, you got it. Well, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, I am a pediatric doctor, pediatric cochlear implant surgeon specifically, meaning that I give children born deaf uh, cochlear implants. By giving them cochlear implants, I give them the the world of sound, the the potential for spoken language. And, you know, probably about 10, 12 years ago now, I started our pediatric cochlear implant program at the University of Chicago, where I am. And I started implanting all these cute little kids who were, who had been born with uh, deafness and started almost immediately seeing huge differences in their outcomes after surgery. So I would do the same surgery on these cute little kids and some of them after surgery would learn how to talk and learn on par with their hearing kids. I mean, you pro- many of your audience has probably seen those little videos of little kids hearing for the first time. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, no, it, it's even better in person when you, when you see it, it just warms your heart. Um, but as I mentioned, some of my patients were learning how to talk uh, after surgery like that. And others, same time out, were, were their developmental progress was much slower. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them barely learning to, to use spoken language. And in trying to figure out why this was, and more importantly, what I could do about it, I sort of fell into this whole world of child development and social sciences, where I really learned just the critical importance of those first three years of life. And it turned out for my patients that here I gave them the ability to hear through the cochlear implant, but their brains needed to hear a lively sort of stream of language to be able to make sense of that sound. And so, as I mentioned, I was going on this journey of trying to figure out why this was and learn just how powerful those first three years of life are and important. Well, and that's the thing that I, as I was reading through these pages, you know, I hadn't really heard of the 30 million word gap. And, you know, maybe we should backtrack just to tell the audience a little bit. You know, I'll let you articulate yeah. the study. But it was, as soon as I read that, I was like, babe, we got to fix this. Like, we got to try to help anybody that we know with this gap because I wasn't aware of it. And, you know, the way that we talk to our children, the quality of words that we're saying, the quantity of words that we're saying, it was mind-blowing, this study and the statistics. And I know it's not a perfect study, but do you mind telling it to the audience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, because that same study is what got me hooked in the first place as well. As So... As I mentioned, you know, in trying to figure out why I was seeing these differences, I started auditing a class on child development, as you know, mm. and one of the, in trying to figure out the differences. And one of the first studies I learned about was the study by Hart and Risley that basically it was done, you know, I think back in the 80s. And basically they followed a bunch of kids. And what they found was that by the end of the age of four, some kids will have heard 30 million fewer words than other kids. And that differences in language exposure, um, according to their research, predicted differences in educational trajectories, differences in vocabulary, test scores, really the the beginning of the disparities that we see uh, between children in terms of educational outcomes. 
Um, it's called the 30 million word study. And in truth, it's just a first sentence in a robust literature that shows that early language environments, basically how much and you know the quality of language and interaction really builds a child's brain. It's not about, you know, I, you know, since that time I've learned a whole lot more because like you, I was like, oh my gosh, this is something we can do something about, but then you learn more. You realize it's not just, it's not words. It's really conversations. It's about the richness of those conversations, that nurturing interaction that builds a child's brain. And what's important to know is in those first three years of life, you know, a baby's brain will grow 85%. 85%. Um, you know, we don't, we don't really think about this, but when, you know, when we're born, most of our organs are formed, right? Your heart, your kidneys, your lungs, they function from day one as they will for their entire lives. But right. the brain comes out underdeveloped and it's waiting for instructions from loving mothers and fathers and the environment to tell it how to wire up. And it's that language and interaction that wires it up. So kids who hear lots of language get, you know, a strong infrastructure for the brain. It's like building the hard drive. And those who get very little, it impacts their brain development, not in a positive way. I was going to ask you, like, after doing all of this research and going down these different pathways and different studies, and I know this was just the intro, but what's the one that's made the most like, oh, my gosh, moment to you? Is there any like outside of this that come to mind first when you're learning about childhood development and uh, getting those neurological you know, fibers to form? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there, there are a couple. Um, I think, you know, sort of piggybacking on this idea that early language environments are important. And, you know, the 30 million word study is not the perfect study. What study I think really helps us understand what children need was done by um, a friend and colleague, Rachel Romeo, who was at MIT at the time. She's now in Maryland. And basically what she found was that it's actually conversations, the conversations between uh, an adult and child, which really helps predicts predict children's language and vocabulary development. And in this study, basically what she did is she put children in an MRI scanner. And she also measured before, you know, their language environment. And long and short of it, what she found is that children who heard more conversations early on had stronger areas of the brain, Broca's area that was important for language and better skill formation. So her study really showed the connection between conversations between an adult and child, stronger brain development, and stronger and then stronger skill formation. So I really love her study because it points out it's not just words; it's that it's that back and forth conversation. So that's a really powerful study, I think. I'll have to go research that one. I'm not gonna lie, I haven't. I seen can. That. I'll send it to you. Please do. Well, when you read when you read Parent Nation in I think chapter two or three, you'll go deep into some of the newer neuro newer neuroscience. Um, so. Well, just the whole concept of neuroplasticity, right? And just, you know, we think about that and we're always, you know, trying to develop the growth mindset because we can continue to develop our brains and, you know, continue to learn. But the impact those first three years have on the neuroplasticity of our minds. I mean, it's what, this three pound complex piece of matter. You know, <laughs> yeah. I forget the quote, but, you know, I know you know it. Yeah, by Asimov, yeah. And it's just like, it's so true. And 
but to realize how much we can impact that. You know, as a parent, at first you're like, all right, you get this child, you don't really know what to do. You're like, I just want to make sure I provide like nurturing food. I want to make sure to provide shelter. I want to shower them with love. And like, yeah. that's it till preschool. And then preschool and school is going to teach them all the things that we can't do outside of, you know, reading a book or, you know, every night there, yeah. whatever that case may be. But this tells you that you can do so much more and how much that impacts it for the child. And so I'd love to talk about the three T's to segue from yeah. that because that was the thing that really I tried. And now, you know, we talk about getting 1% better every day. And I think that's a, a common thing in business and, you know, growth mindset. But not a lot of people take that approach to parenting. And I think these three T's are what helped me. I've actually... You know, I'm a sucker for like atomic habits and creating like a, you know, <laughs> a, a journal every morning of like, what did I do yesterday? My habit tracker. Thank you, James Clear. And so I'll be like, did I tune in? Did I talk more? And, you know, did I actually just listen to her or them and uh, see how it goes? So anyways, you want to tell us about that? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you wouldn't mind, let me contextualize those first three years of life a little bit more Please. and dive into the three T's. Because I think People don't, exactly as you describe it, you know, you've got this almost, you know, what will ultimately be a three pound thing of complex matter that really is who we are. And really those first three years of life, the fact that we come out absolutely helpless, just waiting for the instructions, waiting for that nurturing is at the heart of why humans are the smartest, most creative of all species. We don't really think about that, but the only, the reason that we are is, is that most animals, most animals out in, you know, when they're born, their brains are adult size, almost adult size, right? So that's why like a horse or a zebra, you know, can stand up almost within hours and, you know, a turtle can go to the, to the ocean. It's because our, their brains come out almost adult size when they're born, but human brains only come out at one third of the adult size. Because if the human brain was going to be as big as we ultimately would be, I mean, you couldn't fit through the Poor birth mom. canal, right? Yeah. And because we walk upright, you know, no, no woman wants you know, baby's head any larger than it is. So nature had to make this like trade off where it said, okay, you know what we want, you know, humans are going to be the smartest of all species, but we're going to spend those last, those three years after, you know, after leaving utero to finish the, finish off the job. So nature actually expected this nurturing interaction to, to occur. So when it doesn't occur or society prevents parents from allowing it to occur, it's really squandering what is a gift of why we are who we are as humans. So that was a long diatribe to hit home one more time that the three years, the first three years are so key. But how do you capitalize on this time period, right? I mean, what does it mean to provide nurturing talk and interaction? Well, you know, when you look at the science, there are probably a million and two things that science shows, but we've really culled it down to an easy to remember three part, you know, tool, toolkit, if you will. We call it the three T's. Tune in, talk more, take turns. What does tuning in mean? Tuning in means tuning into your child, following your child's lead, seeing what your child's interested in, rather than forcing them to only focus on what you want. Talk about it. Use rich language from not just the present, but the past and the future. That's what's called decontextualized language. Hmm. And then lastly, take turns. 
view your baby as a conversational partner from day one. So remember Rachel Romeo's study? Yeah. Conversations are key. That's what drives those connections. And you can have a conversation with a baby even before they can talk because they're communicating you with eyes and pointing. So those three T's, tune in, talk more, take turns, are the core to resulting in those neural connections, a million per second. And you can, as you mentioned, overlay those three T's, whether you're like riding the bus, reading a book, you know, doing laundry, whatever it is, you can actually overlay those three T's. Well, I want to double click on something you just said, because I know you said it fairly quickly, but it, it was a million neurons per second? A million new neural connections per second. So remember how I said the baby's brain is only born a third the size of the adult, but it's, you know, born with a billion new uh, neurons that aren't connected, right? And so basically when you're giving that nurturing interaction, like using rich language, those neurons are connecting up or getting strengthened, right? Yeah. Because, you know, for kids who are born deaf, right, that don't have access to sound. Those neural connections aren't going to connect up. Why would they connect up, right? They're not going to use sound. So when when you're when I give a cochlear implant, right, you want them to get a lot of sound language because that connects them up. So basically those those three T's are helping drive those neural connections that provide the foundation for thinking and learning. Thinking think about it like building a hard drive. Mm -hmm. You're building a hard drive with those connections. Well, and you gave examples in the book uh, for each one as well. And that's what, when it started, to like a light bulb went off, you know, because at night I'll read my book to my daughter, my, my one-year-old, and she'll just want to throw the book on the ground, right? It's like she, I think she wants to turn the page, but really it seems like she's not interested. <laughs> but you talk about, you know, as a parent, when that happens, tune into that and just say, oh, isn't it funny how you knocked the book on the ground? And isn't yeah. it silly how dad can, you know, has to lean over and pick the book up? And I just- <laughs> For the hundredth time. <laughs> for the hundredth time, right? It's like, you did a great job of turning the page. But it's interesting now because we'll do that. And I've started to narrate the entire thing and at night, she'll just start to say, you know, brown bear, brown bear is like the book of choice right now. But, it, you know, she's one years old. She starts saying, like, brown bear, brown bear. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And oh, you're giving me chills. It's just so cool to see the connection after. Because at first, I would just be like, all right, she doesn't want brown bear. On to the next book. And now it's like two weeks of doing that consistently. She like She's requesting that. She wants it. I know yeah. that she's interested in it. And she's pointing yeah. to the different things. And so that's what's so cool for me. And then you talked about just tuning into, you know, your children as you're out on a walk, right? And being able to talk to them about what they're they're seeing. And, you know, oh, sometimes they walk slow and you go on a hike and it's like, they're bending over to pick up every acorn and every leaf. And it's like, all right, can we just get to point A to point B and let's go? But now it's like, oh, look at this leaf. What kind of leaf is it? What excites you? What interests you about this leaf? Do you see where it came from, this tree? And it's just, I never thought to do that. And that's just silly that I articulate that out loud. But as parents, we're so used to being like, okay, let's go, keep going, like trying to teach yeah. them versus just like sit back, have fun and just enjoy the ride. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the truth is play is the work of children, right? And this is supposed to be joyful. I mean, the, the thing that I didn't want the book to and the science to sort of push is this feeling like, oh my gosh, I've got to do all of this, I've got to like, Give this much language it's supposed to be joyful it's that that bonding that human that connection that you're making with your daughter or your son and it's 
and that's you're doing the hard work and it, and I'm glad that you're finding the joy in it. So, well, I just wanted to highlight that to parents because the yeah, you're right. As a parent, you got a million things to do while, you know, work and, you know, life stresses. But, you know, this stuff, it's not like you have to go invest a ton of money or time into this stuff. It's just you're already spending it with your children. Just do it in a little bit more of a present manner where you're actually focusing on, you know, helping them develop. And I yeah. think that's what it is so you know easy for us. Like you can do it anywhere and everywhere uh, when you're talking to your kids. So what other examples you talk about rich language, like anything else that comes to mind to help parents or give them, you know, things that they can go tactically do with their children after listening to this episode to, to talk more or tune in. Absolutely. And, but I do want to double click on your, your term present parenting. I mm. think that is the key. And let me tell you, I am not one to, to be, you know, preaching, but being as present as you can, uh, finding the joy in the little, like the, you know, when you're talking about reading the book, and I hear this all the time, like, oh, they're not interested, or, you know, they're too young. It's just having a conversation with 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 your baby over the book, pointing things out. Um, but what are other things that you can do? It, the, the beautiful thing is you can do almost anything. I mean, you know, since this is a, uh, I don't know if it's a dad's podcast, but I'm sure there are probably more dads listening. I mean, you know, some of the dads in our programs, you know, I've heard like one dad, you know, this guy, Randy, who I'll never forget, hilarious. You know, he loved the fact that being able to talk about baseball, and you know all the different elements helped his son learn math right knowing the fact that you know it's not just about you know talking about you know it's language can be used in many different ways and build many different aspects of a child's brain so the fact that he could double down on you know the round ball and the number of strikes and you know the diamond and the shape of the diamond could actually not just provide his child with a, you know, a shared love of baseball, but was helping him build his vocabulary and his math. So really anything that you're interested in when your child is young, they will actually ultimately be interested in as well if you bring them along the journey. So and what you're and don't be don't be scared about anything, literally. Well, and you're talking about, you know, when they're talking about the ball and it being round, that's like spatial aspects, too, that they're learning, not just to count and, you know, the runs. But, yeah, there's more development that's happening just uh, with the way you, you know, articulate what it is that you're watching. Yeah. Well, what, what, what I think is really neat is people when I started this work and because of the original study, people often thought, oh, well, a lot of language helps build children's vocabulary. And, and that that's absolutely true. But the truth is. Early on, language actually builds all aspects of the brain. So mm -hmm. language builds math and spatial ability. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, it's not just about counting and uh, but spatial aspects and actually children who study actually one of my colleagues did the study who are exposed to more spatial language like you know comparisons look at that rectangle and it's smaller etc actually builds children's spatial ability I, I joked in my first book that maybe I'm a surgeon because my parents used a lot of spatial language but not only math and spatial talk but but language and routines help build children's executive function and what is executive function you know self-regulation the ability to have cognitive flexibility and regulate um our 
critical skills when you get into school, right? We always think about the skills of vocabulary and, you know, pre-literacy skills, which are really important, but executive socio-emotional development is critical as well. And language, it can help build that as well. It builds the entire brain. So you mentioned something that I I was excited to ask your advice on because self-regulation is a tough one for a two and a half, three-year-old, right? Like that's the one I'm dealing with most right now is like, you know, I forget what it was. Oh, she needed to blow her nose and I gave her a tissue and she wanted a paper towel and she broke down crying, right? It's just like, it was like <laughs> World War Three. it was breaking out and she like couldn't imagine that this was what I did to her. And yeah. you know, that's okay. Trust me, wait till she's a teenager. You'll be doing my <laughs> Oh, I don't. I'm, I'm terrified for those times. But hopefully what I'm doing now is going to help her be able Absolutely. to have that self-regulation and that respect for herself and be able to have the resilience and the grit to say no in tough times when other people aren't uh, with the people pressures but what do you think about self-regulation for a three-year-old like how am I should yeah. I do better at developing that now but I, I think that that's I think there are two things that are really important understanding the normal developmental milestones I think mm. so often we have expectation not always but expectations that are out of line with where children are developmentally right um so sometimes because remember remember how i said those first three years of life all those neural connections are are happening right and they you almost get an overabundance of neural connections and then it starts pruning itself right Mm -hmm. so when you see a child sort of like melting down right you know it's just like system overload for them and you just need to you know respond with you know with those three t's calm nurturing you know not being hyper reactive and know that this is just a normal developmental trajectory um and do you have a girl and a boy two girls yeah Two girls. Okay. So, um, and because, you know, and there are even gender differences in executive function development. Mm -hmm. Um, Girls, you know, um, are a little bit more accelerated than boys. And I have both, both. And I can tell you that is an absolute, absolute fact. He's now 20. He's about to be 21. We're finally, finally seeing that executive function kicking it. No, I'm just joking. He's great. (laughs) Uh, But, 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 you know, just knowing that, that, you can use those three T's throughout throughout a lifetime uh, of raising them. So even when they're teenagers, but but also knowing that this your your ability to self regulate yourself and keep cool is probably the best way to help build her self regulation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the hard one to do, and it's like yeah, take a, take a deep breath and remember Dr. Dana saying, okay, you know what, this is just a developmental thing. Yeah. <laughs> so trust me, I have to self-talk myself all the time. So well, and I like that you mentioned that because you know people think, well, I don't have a one or a three-year-old, Brian. How has this helped me? But you can do this throughout, you know, all of life, right? And this is parenting 101 for everybody. It doesn't matter what stage that you're in. Absolutely. I mean. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I actually, I joke that the three T's are really just the fundamental for, for human connection, right? What do we need to do, whether it be with our partner or with our children? We need to tune in. <laughs> we need to talk a bit, take turns, and actually listen to what they're saying. So uh, it just works extremely well in the first three years of life. So, 
So can I ask you, you know, as a, a pediatrician, right? Like I've changed pediatricians a couple times with the girls. We're definitely a little bit more on like the integrative, uh, functional uh, approach to parenting and you know medicine and food. But yeah. it in your book you mentioned how not enough pediatricians are talking about the importance of this while they're on these visits, right? Because they're so time crunched, right? It's get them in, check, make sure their vitals are good, make sure, you know, how big are they, what percentage are they on? But no pediatrician that I've been to has been able to sit down and tell me the importance of talking to your children. Why is that? Oh, Brian, I love that question. And I'm excited for when you get to Parent Nation, because I think chapter eight is actually totally devoted to the importance of the healthcare sector in sort of this space, because the, the issue is this, you know, we know that learning doesn't begin on the first day of school, but the first day of life. Right. But we don't have, you know, we've got K-12 that reaches children, but, you know, where 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 are the supports the systemic supports for parents in learning and pediatricians and the and even OBs I think can play a huge role and as you mentioned look this is not to put one more thing on pediatrician shoulders but I think the healthcare system can be a really powerful system of supports to reach all parents right some parents need more some parents need less but at some level all parents need some support um, parenting is hard and um, so in our studies in our work we really have doubled down on developing programs that can be that can leverage the pediatric healthcare space that involve both pediatricians but all part of the the pediatric staff mm -hmm. and there's some really powerful models other people's models that really help connect parents with both the educational needs and the social supports um and so yeah, I, I, so I think that they can be, play a huge role, and I can share some other research, but I, I feel like I'm going on and on. No, about. that was I was just for me. That's what I'm so trying to figure out is what can we do, right? Not just as an individual now, as you know, a dad, where I'm starting to try to get a little bit of a platform to educate other parents on these important matters. You know, you don't want to just help your own children; you want to help all children. And you want to be able to yeah. do it from a societal level. And I know, like, obviously, just a couple uh, pages into Parent Nation, that's what you're really trying to help build as we go through it. But there's not enough programs. There's not enough training and education that you get as a parent those first formidable years. And it feels like kind of a badge of honor. I think you label it as, like, American individualism for parenting, where we just deal with the grunt and the, the trials and tribulations on our own. We don't really vocalize it as much as we should uh, to other parents or other people that we can utilize for help. So do you mind maybe you know talking a little bit about that? Yeah, no, no, you, you're hitting on a really, I think, important sort of point that, you know, in this country, you know, here I was drawn into this world in the same way that you were. Not only am I a parent, but like this powerful brain science is just so compelling, right? I mean, parents and caregivers are children's brain architects, literally building children's brains. So when you dig into what we need to do individually, it's just so compelling. But then you sort of see it in the larger context of our country that, you know, really don't have the societal supports that both honor and support parents in this critically important role. And, you know, in some ways I start, I wrote Parent Nation because of that. I was seeing all these parents who at the end of the day wanted to do 
what all parents want to do, right? Do right by their children, give their children the best possible start. But everybody seemed to be struggling, right? You know, COVID-19 only made it that much more clear that, you know, none of us were built to parent alone. Now, only parents are the parent, but like you can't do without support. So Parent Nation really is about like, if we you if we understand the powerful neuroscience to inform what we do individually, like the three T's and all the stuff that we've talked about, how does that same neuroscience inform a society that truly puts children and families at the center? And that's what really lays out, you know, how does where's the role of business? Where's the role of you know healthcare? The role of policy? The role of, of parents as as a whole? And you know, yeah, so. Yeah, that's something that I'm trying to figure out. I was like, what's my role and how can I help on a bigger level? You know, you think about you grew up in, you know, different economic situations and you know that there's just so many things that are happening right now. COVID-19, obviously, the great resignation and you know, that impacted mostly, I think, at least what I read is, you know, the mothers, right? You know, I'm in the staffing business. That's my job. And I help people get new opportunities. But, you know, you would see that there was uh, a reduction of women in the workforce. And, you know, they were really dealing with a lot of the brunt of, you know, COVID-19. And I don't know, I'm just curious to hear what you've seen from the science behind how that's starting to impact our society. And if there was any glaring things that you wanted to bring to attention in that regard. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you, you point out exactly, you know, how COVID-19 really sort of exposed, you know, just how shaky our nation's infrastructure of supports for children and parent and the, therefore parents was and is and how, you know, we've sort of made an impossible there is no choice, right? You can't leave your children at home without supports and go to work. And why the great resignation, especially with, you know, with mothers with children, you know, under five occurred. So not only are we losing tremendous talent in the workforce, but, you know, everybody is stressed, you know, uh, the impact on the maternal mental health was significant. But, uh, you know, you talk about, and so I can go on about the policies, both from a business and a societal standpoint, which would improve things. And I'd like to talk about that. But you mentioned something like, where is your role? And, you know, I love the fact, I mean, the fact that you are, you know, a father speaking out loud and clearly, you know, about the critical role of fathers, right? And because not only do we see you know, what happened with the Great Resignation, but we know that there are huge, you know, disparities even in gender caregiving, which, you know, even when the mother's working, you know, a huge uh, amount falls on the shoulder of at her at home. It's, you know, the invisible labor. And actually, we have some interesting research that I can tell you in just a second about just the difference of that uh, as it relates to our work. But, you know, one of the things about your you're talking about it is that not only you know like oh dads dads are important and i can show all the science of how dads are equally you know are critically important to brain development in of itself but you're also taking away i don't want to say the stigma but you know the the fact that you know many dads you know they talk about it but they don't really talk about it they don't i mean you are like friggin embracing it you're doubling down on it and um, I think that's really powerful. I mean, when you look at like paid leave, right? Paid family and medical leave. Um, 
you know, in this country, you know, we obviously we don't have it as a federal mandate, which we're which is crazy. We're literally the only OECD country without it. But let's say let's say you're lucky and privileged enough to work in you know, a well-paying industry that has it. Let's say the tech industry, right? I mean, where it's gender neutral. So many fathers because of, you know, the feeling of stigma or, you know, the worry, worry about getting ahead or et cetera, they don't take it, right? So it, again, falls on mothers. And, you know, I tell this, well, I can't wait till you read in Parent Nation and I'm trying to remember which chapter, nine, I think, where I tell a, a fun, not a, actually a funny story about my late husband and you know this secret parenting issue uh of you know we 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 don't talk about i mean you know especially dads don't talk about it like it's like a shame it's like i'm not i'm not a committed worker if i if i embrace it and i think that one of the things that barriers that we need to take down is the role of fathers when it's you know a two you know, a mother father household and how important dads are um, in, you know, the funny thing is in, you know, one of the Scandinavian countries, they have gender neutral paid leave, but they also have paid leave specifically for fathers that if they don't use it, they lose it. So there's this they whole punish them for it. I, yeah, I think they call it Papa lattes or latte papas, where like there are all these dads with their babies, with their baby Bjorns, like, you know, hanging out in the square because, you know, nobody wants to lose it. And it's shifted the social norm and shifting social norms. You know, we, I want shifts in policies and better investment in parents and children, full stop, right? From businesses and policies. But we need, we need norm shifting too, because you can have the policy, but if dads aren't gonna take paid leave, like that's, that's not gonna work. So you're helping, you play an important role in that, so. I've got so many thoughts and questions off of that. I mean, yeah, there's some dads that I know that they get like six months of paternity leave. And that to me, is amazing and they don't want to use it and it's because they're either they think that oh i'm going to get passed up or somebody's going to take over my you know if they're in sales their territory and be able to close that big deal and then they're going to miss yeah. out on you know taking care of their families and so i get that but if it's offered you know to me I, i'm sure there's studies showing that you know the parents that take it versus the ones that don't how the happiness gap is for those households and it's just mind-blowing to me that they don't and you know i know I, 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 yeah, I mean, let's be clear. I mean, look, some of those, their fears are well, are founded, right? I mean, and we need to talk about that and acknowledge that and understand what we need to do about that. But like going from the, the child and the bonding and the child outcomes and the bonding and the support for their spouse and her mental health and return to the workforce. I mean, there's so much research out there why it's so good for the family unit and the kid. That's full stop on the bit on the work side of things like I get it right I mean you know and that's why like in some ways it's got to be a larger you know one person isn't going to change it we've got to have a larger norm shift right so when people like you know I mean when people in leadership positions right the CEOs say hey you know what this is important I'm taking this off you know, everyone follows. I mean, when you see, you've seen those tweets, I can't remember the guy's name who basically said like, you know, people who, you know, men who, 
this is great for men to be involved with their kids, but when they take a long leave, they're losers or something like that. Did you see that no, one? No, I um, haven't. Yeah, I'll find it. It's, I was like, oh, you know, and he, he was in VC. Like, you know, that reverberates. He, he's stating what, you know, the unspoken true, the unspoken view is. And so it does need to change. And the fact that the Scandinavian countries, you know, were able to shift the norms, you, you can be part of that norm shifting. Um, so. Well, you mentioned some of the, the business and the bottom line aspects of this, right? I, and I was reading, I think it was, was it James, Jim Heckman, when he talks about The Economist, right? The concept of every dollar that is invested in early child development, you know, $13 get returned to you. And I don't know if I'm quoting that correctly or not. No, no, yeah. And so that to me, when I heard that, I was like, that's mind blowing. You know, we talk about investing and saving and putting into our retirement or, you know, our 529 plans, whatever the case may be. But as a society, we're not investing into the future as much as we should be. But not only should we be investing in our future, but for the parents and the fathers in this case, in our example, is you know, the what that actually leads to. And I think later on you talk about, maybe it's in Parent Nation as I was reading it this morning, but it was like a $1.7 trillion addition to the bottom line. Um, for yeah. The, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 you're exactly right. So when you talk, I mean, they're, let's be clear, like these policies pay for themselves in spades, right? So they pay for themselves in spades in several ways, right? One of them is the long-term return on investment, right? When you're in, investing in the human capital of our children, society gets back as, you know, Heckman's work shows, you know, 12 or $13 per every dollar invested. That's, that's long-term, right? And people don't like long-term, but even investing today in things like childcare, uh, I, I'm, I'm the, the exact number is escaping me, but business loses like something like 32 billion a year because of the law, the, you know, the loss of women in the workforce because of the cost of the lack of high quality childcare. Um, I've got to look up the actual number for some reason it's escaping me, but there are the long term and the short term returns on investments. I mean, the fact that all these women are leaving the workforce and you can barely you know, find talent, that's for real. I mean, when you lose someone, it takes eight months of salary to replace that person. So um, there are lots of reasons to invest. And look, let's face it, when people can come as their whole self to work, you get happier, you know, more productive employees that stick around, so. Yeah, that's the th that's what it's all about. Like, if you have happy employees, they're going to stay a long time, and they're going to be productive. And you know, you just got to be able to give a little bit of grace, as all parents need, regardless of the situation that they're in. Uh, but you know, give them the opportunity to to thrive both at home and in the workplace. Yeah, I like that word grace. I often say, you know, when people ask me, you know, well, what what should parents do? What should they, you know? And I'm like, look, first off, give yourself some grace. It has been a hard Parenting is hard and these last few years has been extraordinarily difficult. And, you know, while I'm all about the three T's and parents are children's brain architects, there is something called good enough parenting, right? I mean, we feel like it all, we always have to be perfect. It's about, you know, it's not about the individual data points. It's about the overall trajectory and everybody is going to as parents, you know, have, have ups and downs. 
yell a few times, you know, it is all okay. It's about, you know, your child knowing that you love them unconditionally, that you've got their back and, you know, that you're there for them. So good enough parenting. Yeah. You introduced that concept because, you know, you always feel like you could be doing so much more that you should be doing so much more for your children and that sometimes in some aspects, because it's hard not to compare, right? From one child to the next, you see your friends, you see their kids, like, you know, my friend, we went to soccer and my daughter's just not a fan and my audience knows this, she just is not taking to it, right? And I'm like so bummed because I'm such a you know, sports guy, but at the end of the day, it's like she wants to dance. And so we signed up for dance. I can't wait to see how she does with that. But I see the son like going and kicking the soccer ball and scoring the goals. And it's so hard not to compare. But then yeah. I'm like, well, listen to the vocabulary of my daughter. You know, like, yeah, she's yeah, so exactly. much more advanced. Your kid doesn't talk. <laughs> but, you know, it, we got to remember to give each other grace. We're all just doing our best. Don't, you know, compare. Don't try to be able to just, uh, you know, worry about what the little things are. Just focus on what you can control and it's all going to work out as long as you're, you know, putting 1% just like you would for your workplace into your children every single day. Just trying to get a little bit better uh, as a father. You know what? Oh, 1,000%. 1,000%. And don't, you know, you're helping your children live their best lives. Don't live your, don't live through your children. You're there to be their, their, their biggest advocate and ally and tune into what they're excited about. I mean, look, there are, we have to give kids guardrails. We do, you know, you know, you can't jump from thing to thing to thing because you do have to spend a little time to see if you love it, but follow their lead. See what they're passionate about, right? Everybody has, a different gift, right? A different genius. And, you know, it reminds me in medicine, like, I, I still remember when I was a resident, everybody wanted to, like, I'm a surgeon, everybody wanted to be a surgeon, right? And, but some people aren't meant to be, no, I shouldn't say everybody wanted to be a surgeon. Oh, gosh, that didn't come out right. But I, I still remember in my, my internship class, there was so quite clearly a brilliant guy who was brilliant. He was not meant to be a surgeon, but he wanted, I don't know if his dad was a surgeon and he wanted to be a surgeon and he was a mediocre surgeon. If he had been like a neurologist, he would have been a flipping brilliant neurologist, top of his field. And I think the key is to find what they're passionate about, what their comparative advantage is, and just support them in what they love to do. It's, it's no sense in, even if you are the best athlete, I mean, the best athlete in the world, if she's, she wants to be, you know, a hip hop or a jazz or a ballerina, you know, go for it. And I can tell you, um, yeah, so. Well, one other thing that I, you had touched on in Parent Nation that, you know, just in the, the first couple pages, because you, you introduced the good enough parenting uh, and the thought of parents giving them grace. But just the, I guess, for me, the, the ability to be able as a parent to think about, you know, what are the, the one or two things that I can do today to be able to make uh, changes for them, but make changes at a societal level. And you introduce a lot of ideas or concepts that would help, right? And we talked about some of them from parental leave to affordable uh, early development and childcare. And so I guess like from a tactical perspective, I was also curious as I'm trying to build this parent nation and you know, I call it father energy as I'm trying to create for other dads. Like, 
what are one or two little things that we can do tomorrow to help try to not only do that for our own children, but for society and, and moving it forward? Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's a that's a, a biggie. You know, I don't know if you checked out. Did you check out our website, parentnation.org? I have not looked at Parent Nation, no. Oh, yes. Me too. So check out parentnation.org. So it was it's it's sort of a compendium with the book. And you know, on it are a whole bunch of resources that that you can use individually or if you bring a community of dads together for how you can take a little piece to both, you know, help your, you know, your children and your community, but also help your community. So everything from, you know, doing a book club to writing an op-ed to, you know, pushing forward a, you know, uh, I'd say a lactation room or a playground. There are different strategies on there. So take a look because there are so many different ways that you can push it forward. But for me, hearing you in this dad energy, I am loving it because I, that's you're, you're doing what you should do and do it loud and clear. And you have to let me know how I can help support your effort because I love it. Um, well, so thank you for saying that first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, it's fun, right? Like, I think for me, that's what I'm just going on this journey of growth is like, enjoy the process. Uh, you know, obviously podcasting, yeah. like I'm not good at this yet, but I'm having fun with it. And I'm showing my girls that it's okay to struggle through, you know, something that you are passionate about, even if you're not good at it right away. But you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty good, but yeah. Well, thank you. But the TMW, the, the dad talk, right, that you had shared with me, do you mind maybe yeah. telling me a little bit more about that? Because I'm curious. Sure, sure, sure. So we we've so you know the at the center we develop programs to help bring parents you know to to share the science of you know early brain development and how they can use the three T's to build children's brains. So we've developed programs to be used in the pediatrician's office in you know in the newborn you know home visiting, but we we've created a special group session for dads a four four part group session. Um, that really gives them the ability to come together and learn about their children's early brain development, develop strategies and find camaraderie. And we have sort of an analogous group session for moms and dads, but frankly, it usually ends up being all moms. So that's why we were like, let's let's do one just for dads. And it has been awesome. I mean, they're both awesome, but it's really interesting to see sort of how dads approach it differently, how they view, I mean, they, they embrace parenting just as much. They definitely have a different view on it. It is interesting and hilarious, and they're much more competitive. Um, and you all seem to know much more coming in than the women, or at least you think you do. No, I'm just joking. That, <laughs> was, a, that was a slight joke. <laughs> um, and it is really awesome. But time and time again, they are embracing it, they're loving it, and um, and just learning the, th so the four sessions are, the first one is learning the brain, you know, the basics of brain development and the three T's. The next is how to use the three T's in book sharing. Then one is on the three T's and socio-emotional executive function development, and then three T's in math and spatial talk. So it's, it's four different groups and literally if you're interested in learning about it and using it i mean we we're uh 
we're we're all in so well i'm super interested so if you guys need another member yeah. even if it's from afar because i'm not out where you're at happy to no, join no. i'd love to well you could yeah maybe you could look at it and you could you could use it i mean we we, we're developing everything because we wanted to go out into the world. So we're we're a research institute um, about changing the world. So yeah. Well, I know we're we're coming up on time. So a couple quick hitters. You mentioned a book club earlier. What other books should I read? Like in this space, whether you know, obviously I've got both of yours, and if you have other ones, I didn't do my research well enough. Yeah. But what other ones come to mind? Anything that you think would be helpful yeah. for other parents? Oh gosh. So you want parenting. I was going to make a plug for, um, so I, uh, married a, a wonderful man who is a, uh, who's an economist and he just had a book. His name is John List and he just had a book come out called The Voltage Effect that okay. everybody seems to be loving. It's about scaling. Uh, actually, you might enjoy it. It's uh, how to make good ideas great and great ideas scale. So it's about scaling ideas. So, um, I will definitely give that a listen. Guy. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I'll check it out because yeah, I think you know, obviously from a business perspective, like that's what you want to try to do is scale your business and always keep it growing. And that's what I'm trying to support exactly. here too is like the mix of uh, business and parenting and having it be intertwined and have some synergy. So the business tips are good too. Yeah, no, no, no. I think you'll really enjoy it. And then other other parenting. I mean, you know, the whole brain child. Um, let me just think there something dropped out of my mind. Um, did you have you heard of uh, Melinda? I think it's Moyers. Uh, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher the name. It's how do you raise how to raise your child so he's not an asshole? What is that? Thing? <laughs> wait, just, no, wait, 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 I, only I because to. I know the name. Uh, Moyer. It, yes, here it is. How, uh, it's called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, Science-Based Strategies for Better Parenting. <laughs> she, she's awesome as well. And then another one, um, you probably know Emily Oster, right? I know the name, yeah, and a little bit of, oh, I think yeah. you introduced so, her in, the, in 30 Million Words, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so yeah, take a look at Emily Oster's books. They're awesome. She's, she's an economist, so she takes a data-driven approach. Um, she's quite amazing, but there's so many great, parenting books out there so well i highly recommend yours 30 million words and you know obviously yeah. i'm excited to dive into to parent nation and you know angela duckworth on the the cover but just so you guys all know required reading for anyone who has ever loved a child i mean can you get a better recommendation than angela duckworth? <laughs> I I mean, the foremost leader she, she's way too kind she's she's way too kind but I was very appreciative. So, uh, well, I wish we had more time. I can have like four pages. I didn't even touch yet. Um, yeah. So, this has been awesome, Dr. Dana Suskin. Thank you so much for taking the time. Like, how can I help you on the way out? Like, anything that I can do to support you? Obviously, hopefully, you guys check out her books. But anything else that, that my listeners can do? No, just just keep uh, trumpeting that. You know dad energy for changing the world and uh, building their children's brains and supporting their partners if they have one so oh well i will definitely do that and again thank you for all the life lessons that you've taught hopefully it'll pay off in spades for my girls down the road so this has been wow. a pleasure thank you so much thank you so much and that's a wrap for episode number nine i hope you all enjoyed this conversation with dr dana suskin 
and can take away a few things to help improve your approach for developing your kiddos' cognitive abilities and hopefully teach them how to be resilient, how to help with their executive functions, and just how to be good future humans. So I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did too. If you're interested in learning more, check out her books, 30 Million Words, and recently, Parent Nation, which I'm halfway through and loving so far myself. You can also check out the 30 Million Word Center from the University of Chicago or parentnation.org. She's also on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Dana Suskin. So check her out there, and I promise you'll continue to learn more. As always, if you like the show, it'd fire me up for you to leave a review, share this with your favorite father and parent, hit the subscribe button, and leave a comment to tell me what you thought. And if you want more content from me, please follow along on Instagram at BDUZCO, B-D-U-Z-C-O. So again, thanks for tuning in. Now go be great and go fitfo some shit out.